HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, everyone. This is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end-of-year fund drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's December 2016, December 13th. Our show tonight, we're going to talk about when did rarity start to equal greatness in beer. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. We've got some special guests joining us tonight. This whole, this whole show kind of started with our, our friend Aaron Goldfarb. He wrote for Punch uh, an article called When Did Rarity Start to Equal Greatness in Beer? Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks for having me. And we, we, we do read, you know, we like to read. Every <laughs> once in a while we get a, a book author on, but we haven't too often had a, a, a show based around an article. And, and Chris Bala, welcome to the show, buddy. Well, thanks, Jimmy. And what did you think about this article? I know it made you, you have a lot to say about it today. Oh, I mean, it's, I, I thought it was well, a lot of points well said and rarely spoken in our community um, about the nature of beer as, you know, a commodity and how it's consumed and uh, how it's collected and, you know, kind of the general idea of, you know, the changes of beer as far as just a beverage to enjoy with your friends or, you know, have a longstanding social tradition to something that's more of a collectible and a rarity which is i feel like very unique to beer as an industry and we have a lot to say today greg Doroski from threes brewing nice to see you buddy nice to see you jimmy haven't had you on for a while yeah it's been a while it's been a while yeah, we're gonna have a lot to talk about tonight now, hopefully everybody from beermenus.com where you can keep up with uh finding with great beer the top beers are in new york city <laughs> everywhere in the world right international what's your name man my name is gage uh, Gage Siegel, I'm here uh, subbing in for Will, our founder. All right, and uh, got a Hillary Faison, our friend from uh, NYU Food Studies grad program. Hey, Hillary. Hi, how are you? Thanks for coming on. So, hey, big shout out to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors, a supplier of world class ales and lagers. All right, so let's go. So, Aaron, just tell us about this article. It kind of like I read it on Facebook and I thought, wow, this is interesting. So, give us a little summary of the article, people that haven't read it. Cool. Um, well, so like most writers uh, can attest, we spend most of our time dicking around on the Internet and not writing, just reading. Uh, and one website I like is called the Wayback Machine, where you can look at old websites, what they looked at. You can 
see what CNN looked like on uh, 9-11 or what ESPN looked like the last time the Yankees won a World Series. And I got the idea to see what Beer Advocate Top 100 lists look like for the past 15 years. And there's hundreds of lists from starting in 2001 up to today. And I've been drinking uh, craft beer since the early 2000s. So kind of along with my memories of how the beer industry was changing and what beers I was chasing and enjoying of the time, I matched it with the top 100s at the time to crystallize my thinking and uh, see what was actually true. That's cool. Chris, I know you had something to say about this. This article, um, you said your friends say this is what you're talking about all the time. Uh, well, I mean, I, I thought I felt a lot of uh, similarities in thought with what Aaron kind of put out in the article. And I've been drinking craft beer for about the same amount of time. Uh, and I guess as somebody who, uh, you know, buys beer for, you know, in bars and restaurants, it, uh, it's very much on my mind how, how it's presented. And, you know, I, I have a kind of a good connection on the drinking public from, you know, kind of the more beer, the beer nerds that are seeking out the white whales or whatever, um, to folks who are just coming in to drink something that's tasty. Um, but yeah, I, uh, it, you know, really kind of struck something in me about, you know, how, how beer is consumed today. And if people are actually drinking beer for, you know, the pleasure of drinking beer with your friends or, you know, drinking beer so they could scratch another one off the list. And I think that's become more and more prevalent lately. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was very thought-provoking and well said. So let's go back to 2001. In 2001, what were some of the top-rated beers on that list? In, well, in 2001, the number one-rated beer in the world, according to Beer Advocates users, was Victory Storm King Stout, which I think probably anyone who drinks beer has had at least once, but maybe not in a decade. Uh, just a standard, pretty roasty and hoppy, if I recall, stout from the era, not barrel-aged, not rare. It was just a beer. It was good. It's probably still good. I haven't had it in a while. And then uh, there were some other ones. A Duvel, you mentioned? Yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the iconic uh, Belgian beers of the era. Duvel was number four. That just so happened to be my favorite beer of the era when I was a, you know, 22-year-old uh Looking for some bang for my buck. I drank a lot of Duvel at Market down in the meatpacking district. Um, Omegang Hennepin was big back then. Chimay was big. Oddly enough, a lot of rogue beers were on the top 100, which would get you laughed out of the room if you brought a rogue beer to a, <laughs> a bottle share these days. It was uh, everything that Michael Jackson was reviewing at the time, though, right? <laughs> I feel like it's all out of Michael Jackson's writings from the late 90s. Maybe. I mean, that's something you could perhaps match up uh, a lot of dogfish head beers start appearing in the early 2000s too at least six were on the uh, top 100 in like 2003 i think so you might be right about that it was like the, 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 a lot of the pioneers of craft too like victory that are now you know bigger yeah growing. i mean to be fair there weren't as many brewer, breweries back then we had 5,000 breweries yesterday and i think there were probably 1,500 back then maybe less certainly probably under 100 that had a a nationwide reach so it was a lot harder for an obscure uh, brewery to make the list there obviously was an Ironheart canning making it easy for (laughs) you know tall boys nano breweries to can tall boys and then geeks to trade them across the country so only beers that were making supermarkets were probably going to be making the list. Back and trust then. me, listeners, this is a serious panel today. Greg, what you know, if, if, if Duvel was Aaron's beer of 2001, is, is there another like old classic that you would have picked as a top beer? I think, uh, you know, when, when I posted the article, you know, I read the article and it definitely struck a chord with me, kind of reflecting on my personal beer journey. I would say Orval is probably that beer for me. Uh, Cezanne DuPont is right up there. I think what was really great uh, with Aaron's article, though, is beyond kind of just the information he was pointing out about how kind of the market has shifted and, you know, these particular beers, was this kind of second layer of analysis, which is kind of more almost social history and the evolution of beer um, you know, as Chris mentioned, as this kind of commodity that's traded and and hoarded and, you know, people wait in lines for it. And it it really 
kind of gets at, at, at some of the discussion going on, at least on the brewing side, um, about what, you know, the function of beer is and, uh, you know, what, what, you know, why do we all drink this? Why do we all buy it? Why do we all devote so much time to it? And uh, it's a discussion that's very interesting. And now, you know, now we have, we all know we have Rape Beer, Beer Advocate, Untapped. There's places we can see the top rated beers. But uh, Gage, you're here from uh, beermenus.com. How do you guys track? You have some, how do you track your top beers? Yeah, so the top beers for us are going to be twofold. We use search data because we've been around for eight years, just a little bit less time than Beer Advocate and a little bit longer than most other beer sites. So when people are searching for specific beers, we end up being a top result. And so that people who view individual beer pages as a proxy for search data. So right now uh, we're coming off the heels of Bourbon County coming out. So thousands of people in the New York area or pick a city are searching for that beer. That's one metric. Founders. Founders. uh, Yeah. And I mean, when, when KBS is going to come out, forget it. Uh, But the other metric that's changes less is follower data. So people who want to be alerted as soon as, a beer crops up, and I've actually I've got it sitting next to me here, and it's a lot of grim in New York City, in case uh, nobody could guess. Uh, but it, it also ends up being surprising. A lot of people are following beers that we don't get here. Sip of Sunshine, uh, Focal Banger, which, well, we only just got, so maybe the death of the tall boy, but uh, <laughs> Pliny the Younger and uh, Elder as well end up being some top-followed beers that have never been in New York City. So it's... Uh, the hype that's around them that's sitting in the top 20, the top 250, people are still following. Let's jump, let's jump to hype and you know, before we get too into that article. So I walked in there today, and you guys were all ordering the same beer at the bar at Roberta's. Yeah. What was that beer, and, and you know, what's the hype about it? <laughs> well, that's the embarrassing thing. Just I, to be clear, I was not ordering that beer. <laughs> this is Greg. Didn't order that. He brought, your, order you, well, you brought us what, <laughs> the, the Vliet Pilsner from 3. Vliet. It's not Vliet. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I even... You know, kind of made fun, fun of rarity, and then I show up and I order the rarest beer, even though I didn't necessarily feel like it. I show up and I want something lighter because I don't want to go on your show too wasted, Jimmy. And well, I, which beer was it, it? It was Focal Banger from The Alchemist, an eight percent IPA. And I, you know, so I walked in, and it's funny that this was the theme of the show. I hadn't heard of it, I hadn't had it. But Chris, tell us, and at three is tell us, you know, you guys got some shipments of of these cans. Yep, very limited. Tell us the experience. Uh, oh, I well, was I was ecstatic. <laughs> but did I mean, you have to order it? Were you were you were you, you were tagged as a place that could get it? Because when Alchemist sends cans to the city, there's only a certain amount. Yeah, so there was a limited amount that they sent to the city, and um, you know, different accounts got um, you know a shipment of beer. It was for on-premise consumption only. Uh, we kind of joked around uh, at threes that this could be kind of the harbinger of the end of, uh, you know, IPA 16 ounce cans is a thing, you know, something that people kind of hoard and wait in line for. Um, I don't think that's entirely true, but it is telling that, you know, a beer that people would drive, you know, hours and wait in line and chase trucks around as they made local deliveries up in Vermont, uh, that they're starting to ship it, um, to our market. Um, you know, they're definitely getting to be a bigger brewery. They have more production capacity. Um, so it's not as rare. I think it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, as an observer of beer, to see if that hype kind of stays with that beer uh, because it's more readily available. And I think we're seeing the same thing in our local market, too, uh, with Ironheart Canning, uh, Canning Everyone's IPA. You know, 16-ounce cans of remarkably good IPA are readily accessible oh, at, at nearly so every single point. brewery. Yeah. You know, LIC, Finback, other half, obviously, you Interboro. know, Interboro. You know, everyone everyone in the game now is doing 16-ounce uh, tall boys of IPA. So it's, it's, it's a thing. Chris, tell us about, so at Grand Army Bar, you, you also got some of the... Alchemist. Yeah, I mean, I focal banger. That's a the really, focal banger. I love that name. Oh yeah, uh, focal banger. I have a. Can I have you a good deconstruct re- the name for us, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a pretty. That's I have a, for the expert from <laughs> beermenus.com. Um, 
I would say I have a pretty good relationship with the distributor that brought that in. Uh, so I, I just received, I got noticed the day before it dropped and received, you know, a couple of cases. And uh, we're a cocktail bar. I try to maintain a really great but small beer program. Uh, but I didn't make a whole lot of fanfare about it. I, you know, put it on the menu immediately and encouraged all of our staff to sell it, you know. As, but it made it to Roberta's and, 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 like, you know, Aaron and Chris and Justin, when you guys came in, that's what you ordered today. Yeah. It was a surprise, but you can't, you almost can't say no to it. The surprising part, uh, I know, was the rule for all you guys, you have to sell it on premise. Did it come as, like, a sticky note on the cases? I, I wasn't told. I just assumed. But that's <laughs> what I assume always. But, uh, I mean, I think that rule is always so everybody can get a taste. And I, I, can't, I, don't, I really can't speak of how large the capacity is growing at The Alchemist in Vermont. But, I mean, going back to what Greg was saying, I think if, you know, New York City is receiving 600 cases of focal banger, um, does that mean that this beer will be less desirable because it'll be in more markets you know it's like i i think we saw that happen with um but do you like it number one i like it it's good like it. I'm Sh- not, shouldn't that be what's important though? it is like, it, it, it's so it's a treat it, it it makes my stomach turn to to that we're seriously considering the availability of something making it less good i mean you know, that's it, that's, it, that's it, what it we're talking about the effing liquid i mean there's the the <laughs> the daisy cutter from half acre yeah. out of chicago that's a uh, half acre uh increased their capacity quite a bit in the last couple of years and so that beer is reaching a lot more markets than it used to and i feel like it's lost a lot of desirability for people outside of the Chicago area yeah. now that it's easily available. I mean, I think if three Floyds suddenly was distributing all over the country, nobody would, I mean, this is a brewery that people have been super cultish about for so many years. I feel like people would lose interest. They'd look somewhere else. They'd look for the rarer thing. And that's why we're here today to talk about this, I think. And Aaron, was that the, what, part of the intention when you wrote that article? You know, I think a lot of, commenters thought i was saying let's go back and just drink esbs and lots of <laughs> lots of boring beers i can get at my local key foods and i certainly wasn't saying that i love focal banger but i also love vliet which we can vliet vliet which we can get whenever we want <laughs> all right hey we're gonna take we're getting crazy we're gonna open a bunch of beers we're back in a short, in a short minute on beer sessions radio all right <laughs> In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guess what? Check us out. It's the end of your drive, heritageradionetwork.org. You can become a member. Big shout out. Uh, one of our regular guests is a, a new business member, uh, Brooklyn Brew Shop. Stephen and Erica, thanks so much. Brooklyn Brew Shop is a beer kit they ship around the world. It's a great gift for the holidays. So, uh, you know, go ahead, be an individual member or a company member, but Heritage Radio Network. Or I think slash donate. So we're talking about rare beers and you know how things have changed in 15 years. That's also part of it is like how, how, how people track it. There's so much more data. There's beer menus and all these other sites. But let's talk about the beers first. So Greg, first we had uh, the threes Vleet beer. Thanks, Jim. Tell us what that beer is quickly. For, could I could I interrupt? <laughs> I think you should just send the alchemist a case of beer and say you can only sell it on premises of <laughs> <Yeah>. your beer. <laughs> that is a good idea. <laughs> um. 
so this is Vliet Pills. It's uh, one of the first beers we did at Threes. It's uh, one of my favorite beers we do at Threes. It's kind of a, I guess I would call it a hybrid uh, Czech-German-style pills. It probably is definitely more towards the German side. Uh, a little bit malty, a little bit hoppy, brewed with uh, Czech Saz and German Spalter Select hops. Kind of, for me, one of those great beers that sits between simplicity and complexity and kind of can really suit many different contexts. You know, you can be sitting on the beach crushing it, not thinking anything about it and enjoying it, or we can sit here and talk about, you know, how there's this nice kind of crackery maltiness to it and herbal hop character that are nicely in balance. Greg, talk about how you're canning beers and getting beers out there. This is a beer that when you first had it on draft, people said, oh, it's, it's unusual. It's, it's the Vliet Pills, New York City Pills. But now, you know, what's the process of getting it in cans? Is, is it more readily available? So it is. It's one of those beers that we really are making a concerted effort to have readily available all the time, both in package and in draft form. Uh, as we're looking to scale up our production, we'd like to make this kind of a cornerstone of our portfolio. Um, it takes twice as long as everything else because it's a lager fermentation, which is a little bit slower. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know, when you step back and look at kind of the development of a portfolio as a creative process, um, this is one of those beers that I feel very important about. Uh, you know, I think it speaks to uh, both my vision of kind of the function of beer that it's something that we can just sit around and enjoy and it's just good. It doesn't necessarily scream for your attention. Um, It can sit on the table with a a good meal and... And it's great, and it fits it. But I'm going to take us back to when everyone's talking about collecting beers and the rare beers, it seems to be like, oh, you're going to have a can or a bottle. You're going to go wait in line to take it home. Hogwash, that's okay, but my life is different. Like in some of the great beer bars in New York City, we, we were getting just the specialty kegs from Threes, for example, and I would get a keg of Chronic Myopia IPA. That was one of my favorite beers of the summer. Well, thanks, I, I could, as far as I know, I could only get it in keg. Well, I want to bring it back to that. Like, what happened to the, the, the things where only the special beers were going into kegs? And yet, like, even here at Roberta's, Hill Farmstead was so rare. And I'm very happy that they regularly have Hill, Hill, Hill Farmstead Edward on draft. That's what I was drinking earlier. Well, I, I think it, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, most breweries start with, with draft beer because it's easier. You fill up a keg and send it on its way. Um, it's a little bit more complex, especially to can. Uh, with the advent of mobile canning, it is more accessible to people. Um, and, you know, as we said before, pretty much every local brewery is canning an IPA. Um, it was kind of funny for us. We waited um, a little over a year before we started canning our beer. And the difference in public reaction from draft to packaged cans was was pronounced. You know, we've been making Vliet Pills uh, since the beginning. I think it was our fourth or fifth, fifth batch of beer we brewed at Threes, but it was only when we put it in cans that uh, both people on the brewing side started reaching out to us to have them ship it to them, um, and also that people kind of talked about it as a real thing. Um, you know, we kind of joke around that the beer doesn't exist unless it's in packaged form that people can kind of take with them. And... It's, it's, you know, especially in New York City, I think it's a little easier to view the drinking experience as going to a bar and having a bunch of beers with friends, taking the subway home and not thinking about it. But there is a, a, a large segment of at least the national population who needs to worry about driving places and consume a lot of beer in their homes. And one of the best ways to do that is with packaged beer. Aaron, does this come into play when, when you're looking at the ratings of, of different beers over the years? Well, I mean, once you package a beer, the geeks can trade it across the nation and you get free dr- distribution on that. So, I, you know, I live right by threes. It's not just my local brewer. It's it's my local bar. I'm there every week. Um, you can't tell someone in California threes is the, the best brewery in Brooklyn, in my opinion. Because uh, they can't taste it. The second they can can, I can send the stuff out there, and now it can become a national sensation. Um, so yeah, I mean, you see around the the turn of the 2010s when 
Hetty Topper starts getting canned, that's really the first time we start seeing hoppy beer getting sent around the country, whereas before these were tap-only things that most people weren't getting to try. They were trying maybe old bottled IPAs from Whole Foods that were good, you know, Sculpins and 60 Minutes. But the second uh, you could go buy um, Hetty Toppers or Focal Bangers or, you know, canned beers, canned IPAs, and send them around the country, someone in California could drink his beer seven days old at, at most, and he could start building a sensation in other places. So, yeah, it was definitely something that was crucial. You know, Chris, you were, you were talking earlier about that, whether this, you know, the, rarific- the rarification, the, the cult collectibles, you know, the, do you feel like that the, the, the number of styles that people appreciate is, is less, is limited? I absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like uh, there's much less variety in the market today, or what people are talking about today, than there was even six years ago. Um, which I think Aaron touched upon a bit in the article, being like, where did more boring styles like ESBs or Scotch ales or all that go? You know, like when Fuller's ESB once upon a time was largely respected, or even when I was working at Beercraft five years ago. And we would get a lot of people coming in to, for British beers that were kind of sleepy but wonderful. Uh, and now that's definitely fallen off. And people so, barely even drink the great Belgian beers anymore. I know it's uh, it's it's funny. It's like Duval is wonderful. I feel like I just actually found while we were talking earlier my first beer advocate review from 2003 and it's of Duval. <laughs> of course, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I I think people I I think the conversation is. Uh, gotten a bit narrower, of course. Well, you know, the beers that are traded online are largely IPA, uh, wild ales of, of of numerous stripes, mostly just uh, mostly sour and wild yeast fermented uh, ales and um, imperial stouts and imperial stouts because that's a enduring uh, collectible. And I I appreciate that an imperial stout is collectible because they're made they're it's a beer that you can lay down and. I, I get a little, I look a little, it seems a little problematic to me when IPA is becoming the collectible item because IPA is the most perishable of American styles today. And You're never going to get an IPA uh, from threes to someone in Washington in, in the best shape. You know, I can, I can go and pick it up out of his cooler. I know right. it's been treated right. It's going to get to Seattle, and God knows what weather it's been through. It's not the same beer. It almost defeats the purpose. Yeah, I think what's particularly troubling for me, too, as the lens through which people are viewing the beer world through kind of narrows a bit, is, you know, it's so limited if you view the world through the lens of double IPA yeah. or IPA. You know, I we kind of joke around that, you know, Vleet is good for a pills because we see people reviewing it like that all the time and that they oh, that's that's, that's, that's the kind of a knock right oh, okay and it's like oh it's good for a pills but that's you know, the, high, that, the it, highest it, pills a beer advocate probably gets like an 88 yeah right? see, that's um, so troubling to me it's but, somebody who appreciates pilsner as a, a style of beer but it's like it is kind of viewing the food world through like the lens of hamburgers yeah it's like saying this you know, this cassoulet is good for a hamburger. That doesn't make any sense. It, it's, it, it just shows, I, I think, some maturation that has to happen in the beer world. That's all. Sorry, Jimmy. So, no, it's okay. I forget what I was going to say. You're but, killing my flow. We're talking about styles. <laughs> Doppelbox and then this, this beer that we oh, yeah. brought in. I brought Chris in brought a, an, an early uh, Grimm artisanal ales bottle from, uh, I think, the fall of 2014. Um, it Scotch ale called Shapeshifter, and, and it tastes great. It's a, it's a it's refreshingly different. Yeah, style. and it's very much in line with what they started doing originally. Now this brewery's become a huge cult success. Uh, but when they started, it was mostly kind of old school Belgian style beers. This one's kind of a hybrid Scotch ale uh, Belgian double, I would say. I mean, it exploded when I just opened it, but uh, which <laughs> is telling. I, yeah, it's delicious. But um, but Grimm has gone on to produce a. I mean, I, as much as I love them and think they're excellent brewers, they produce a pretty narrow band of beers, and it's really to capture what the market is interested in. And what Grimm primarily does these days is uh, hoppy beer, IPAs primarily, and uh, sour. Sours. 
and that's and those are the two styles that at that everyone is hungry for among kind of the the beer cognoscenti or whatever but it's also becoming a big thing at least in our local bubble of like what people are looking for i think what's interesting to me though is what's next because you know we were talking about a little bit earlier you know heady topper was one of those first big hoppy beers that became kind of a thing and i feel like the market kind of chased after that a little bit and it still clearly is a thing but at a certain point something else is going to kind of accept that mantle and what is that going to be and i think that's what i find refreshing yeah. you know the the you know if if aaron's kind of historical analysis of things um, shows anything. It's that taste changes. Yep. You know, beer changes. Uh, it's this ecosystem that that's living. And one thing. Um, so, Gage from Beer, how do you guys track these trends? Like your number one beer is, is it just by the beer, or do you track by style? Uh, so, I mean, we've got data. Do you, do you on- know what the next? you know, popular beer is going to be from your data. You know, uh, we don't have that much foresight into the future. We're not able to predict it. You know, IPA and sour and, and like Goza has had such a stranglehold on how we look at things for so long. Um, I mean, all the top beers are IPAs. All the beers, you know, like the Grimm's shoot up into the most searched for and, and most followed within days of announcement. It's, you know, I, they also I, have a fairly regular Thursday, release Friday release schedule, schedule where, sure. you know, unemployed geeks are running around the city following the trucks, get a can. I saw uh, the general manager of the Double Windsor posted some grim cans are on Ryan sale online for Ryan Bedford. Big shout out Ryan Bedford. Ryan Bedford. Yeah. 45 bucks for a, real, a pair a real of light cans. Yeah. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, 45 bucks online for two, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna have to, you're gonna have to not surprise for bigger allowances. Yeah, week. but I tell you what, let's. That, that's all great to know. We're gonna move on with this conversation. We'll be yes. back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Well, she's her own. She's her own female. She's her. She's her own female She's her own female And she don't know That's why I like her a lot Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network Hey, it's uh, December 2016 It's almost Christmas time and we're talking with Aaron Goldfarb's article of going back in time. But again, 2001, you know, it's true. There, You mentioned other styles that people used to talk about. Celebrator Doppelbox. And, oh, yeah. You know, even Saison's, I, I noticed, you know, Greg, I'll put you on the spot. When you guys opened a couple of years ago, you were originally going to be a Saison-focused brewery, but no one really talks about American Saison's anymore. Well, you know, I think... When we opened, it was always clear that we were going to brew a bunch of different styles. I think even then, um, you know, when we opened, we had three different saisons on, two different hoppy beers, and Vleet, Vleet Pills. Just having three saisons kind of allowed people to say, oh, these guys are going to be a farmhouse-focused <laughs> brewery um, because it wasn't kind of a popular thing, and it was a little bit of an outlier. Um, so because it was an outlier... That's how people kind of defined what we were. Um, we still have two saisons on uh, to this day. Our portfolio really, um, you know, if anything, we maybe are brewing a little bit more hoppy beer and a little bit more pills just to kind of keep up with the demand. But uh, at least with what we have uh, at our bar currently, the portfolio is pretty much reflective of, of the day we opened. The thing is, a lot of American quote unquote saisons nowadays aren't the funky phantom saison Dupont saisons. They're they're essentially just barrel aged sours, you know, yeah. that the brewers chosen to call uh, a saison. So, you know, he was making real saisons <laughs> that were funky and not barrel aged, and they were delicious. But you know, if you look at like Side Project, who I love, most of their saisons, most of Corey King's saisons are. Are what you would call wild ale. So, you know, the the Phantom Saison, which I love, is kind of dead. It seems like we've taken sort of a singular 
view to saisons. It's you're doing a lot of brewers, and, and I, I exclude you, Greg, are doing either uh, a Dupont clone or uh, these crazy barrel aged wild sours. But it's such a wide style from adjuncts to base uh, base malts to uh, to yeasts and, and fermentation profiles. Most American brewers are only going to do just the straight Dupont yeast on a on a primarily wheat bill or crazy the extreme flavors, of, right. which of course bleeds into you know our bourbon barrel stouts and our super hoppy IPAs. Chris, do you have any saisons on the menu at Grand Army? Yeah, I I always I mean the food program is centered on seafood and raw oysters, so and I think saisons perfect. Uh, so I, I do a blend. I mean, I've I've sold, and when I was doing beers at Mile End, too, I thought the style is perfect for that food as well. I mean, Saison is like a, a very uh, flexible style, of course, because it's a table beer. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I do, I try to keep it local largely, and I do the beers from Transmitter, which I think are, their Saison's great and very nuanced, and definitely more in line with what happens in Belgium, where it's like a native yeast that br- that they use every time and is sort of ornery and like uh, unpredictable, but it, it defines the flavor like Phantom or like uh, Blogie or like other uh, classic saison uh, breweries in Belgium. You know, each one has a specific character. It's not been because it's a long a long utilized yeast, um, but American very few American breweries have the restraint to do that <laughs> and the time. To, to kind of get that going. We were talking about Jester King earlier, and that's one of the few breweries. They, you know, they started using green glass at their breweries so they can um, get the flavor that you find in, in those kind of classic Belgian saisons of the kind of the light-struck uh, character. I do um, think, you know, there's another layer to this conversation, too, about kind of restraint versus this kind of glaring, almost arrogant, you know, loud flavor right. profile. Well, a lot of beer geeks will have a saison or a wild ale and go, it was good, but it wasn't sour yeah, enough. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's not <laughs> even it's, supposed to be sour. It's right, crazy. yeah, of course. I do wonder if that's just kind of another layer of this kind of maturation that maybe needs to go on in the beer world. Yeah. You know, I think about, you know, food a few years ago, and it was like everyone had pork belly on the menu. Yeah. And it was like... It's very similar. Just, you know, by virtue of it being pork belly was supposed to indicate somehow that this was a great food establishment. <laughs> and then people realize like it's just a fatty piece of meat mm-hmm. that you actually need to cook properly otherwise it's going to suck and it's not good just because it's fatty. Yeah. I remember uh opening up Phantom bottles over the years and like the ones that got the greatest response are the the ones that were kind of infected and super sour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like no this is not <laughs> like I've only had, I think, two. I've opened. I've I love Phantom Saison. I haven't had too many that were successful because their beers are so unpredictable. But they're I, often majorly skunked by the time they get right, to America. But it should. I think the the flavor that I was always looking for was like a really beautiful, complex, kind of full-bodied saison with the kind of strawberries in the background, yep. because mm-hmm. Danny supposedly always used strawberries, but, like, there's all these problems, you know, you'd find it, like, tastes like a rubber fire, or, sure. you know... I, I always be... thought that the, the good Phantom was supposed to smell like petroleum. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's... <laughs> that's that's saisons. Yeah. So saisons have a way to go. But, back, but, back to but it's, it's one of those things, too. Delicate flavors are are something that I, as a brewer and also a drinker, Enjoy far more. It's much more like wine. I, you know, and like I, I, you know, wine is collectible, and I, I would love if we had time to touch on this. But like, wine has been collectible since you know industrialization or longer. Or Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, and like everybody loves like an eighty-four Magan or whatever. But like you know, wine is a completely different type of beverage, and it's consumed in a completely different way. And those wines that are collectible are collectible for a reason. They're like prized vintages and you know it's they're very expensive and all that but when beers are so cheap cheaply made it's like it's very intriguing to me that there's such a cult item it's like this is not like how beer that doesn't fall into you know the history of beer consumption to me you know? i'm gonna give a plug for the the good you know good brazil type small beer bars because we see this stuff every day we have we have a variety of of different styles of beer and and a lot of fridays i've been putting on a franconian german kind of very malty almost bread-like, you know, these kind of amber lagers. And 
people go nuts for it. I, oh, yeah. I think that there is an interest. That, that's in, refreshing, man. There's an interest in different styles. But people want maltier beers. They want lagers. And I was wondering for, for you, Gage, do you have a way of following that numbers wise? You know, can you, can you see the, a variety of styles that are out there, like on tap at? At beer bars around the country. Yeah, so I mean, we've got uh, we're able to track the trends, but it's it's IPA all the way. I hate to say it. I hate I hate to to, to bring everybody down, but it's uh, we've been riding wave of IPA forever, and that's the top search, top followed. Um, when you have to when you want to build a balanced program, which I know you guys run uh, twelve lines, right? Very small but very well curated program. Uh, if we're talking about what does the drinker want most? It's IPA. They'd prefer eight lines of IPA, a sour, a barrel-aged beer, a Pilsner, because there's lots of people who will still drink it. Um, Because they brought a friend along. They brought a friend. They bought someone who doesn't like beer. Um, But it's it's IPA forever. So, Hillary, you're our NYU Food Studies grad student. If, If you had to go get a beer right now, do you actually have a brand in mind or a style of beer, or do you not drink beer? Um, it kind of depends what mood I'm in, um, but sometimes I feel like a sour, And but lately I've actually been in the mood of stouts. They've been, especially if it's like more in the evening, they've just been like hit in the spot. So. All right, so see, maybe your stats don't always work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's what they're drinking. Every, that's what they ask for. It's tough. I guess to, to put Gage's stats a little bit differently, I think uh, at our bar, if we... And we've seen it. If we run out of IPA and we don't have an IPA on at any one given time, people will get visibly upset and just not understand what our bartenders are saying. I I, I saw, while sitting at the bar at Roberta's, I saw two dudes just walk up and say, could I have an IPA? Yeah. Like it was a, they were in a movie and just ordering a generic beer. They said IPA. That's almost synonymous with craft beer these days. (laughs) As, but there's as, some good as, ones, too. Yeah, no, and, and, you know, don't get me wrong. There is great IPA. I think the core of my argument is there's just more. I mean, I've when I was at Beercraft, you know, we you know we did big growler sales, and on a busy weekend, sometimes we'd run out of IPA. When but when we had to tell people, it's like, oh yeah, that pale ale is really hoppy, like that. <laughs> and people were so angry. I never met such angry customers. But um, you know, the way I sell beer at Grand Army is like I stopped even like. The most legible part of the menu is the style now. Yeah. Because I want people to come in and just be like, I want an IPA. Well, it, it, it yeah. happens at threes every single day. Yeah. We'll sit there, you know, at the end of the shift and watch people order beer. And it's, you know, can I have an IPA? Can I have an IPA? Yeah. Can I have an IPA? And that is the one style of beer. You know, first of all, it outsells everything else two to one. Sure. And it's the beer people will get upset if we don't have. You know, we could a lot of time, you know, we brew a lot of light-colored beer at Threes. And we tend to serve a lot of light-colored beer because those are kind of the beers we like. There's been times where we haven't had any dark beer on for weeks. No one gets upset. But if there's no IPA, you better watch out. Yeah. It's it's tricky. It's top to bottom. <clears throat> you know, it's not just the 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 sought after the going to the Alchemist to get cans of Heady Topper or Trillium to get cans of, of whatever ipa it may be it's everybody it's the it's the mildly educated beer drinker who says i want ipa to the people to the trendsetters right for for lack of a better word who are going and waiting in line for all those beers just ipa it almost doesn't matter new would you you wait in line for a can of beer in my younger days, <laughs> we've all been there. Unfortunately, so what, what are places? No, I, I, I have not. I've never waited in line. For, well, you so. can brew yourself a great beer. Yeah. Yeah. Gage, what, you're better than the Where rest have of you us. waited for? Where Where have you waited in line for? Oh Canada? man, uh, both coasts, up and down, oh, across the country. I've. I mean, I, I one brewery. Pick one, one brewery. <laughs> other half i've done it i have gone and waited in line i just try to avoid it as often as possible you know because you can go in the afternoon maybe yeah. i'm done the, i'm officially I, done. I try not to and what's one that, this point. that you remember waiting in line for? what's one that i remember waiting in line for? what ended it for the, you? the last time i waited in line because now of course i'm a famous beer writer and beer brewers just give me their free beers but i waited in line for the other half trillium collaboration about 15 months ago and it was awful. It was like a five-hour wait, and the beer was fantastic. Uh, but I waited in line because I was visiting friends in New England. And I wanted to bring up a case and be the 
the big hero, and I did, and I brought up the case, and, and no one was thankful. <laughs> and I said, that's it. That's brutal. Yeah, no, that serves you right. It does serve me right. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think this is, it's great that there is so much good beer around, so much good IPA around, that, you know, the line-waiting phenomenon is hopefully waning. And, I mean, we should talk about how three sells their IPAs, which I think are as good as anyone's. You just... Sign up online and yeah, buy some. For for us, you know, we we do have a, a a full bar. You know, we have the meat hook in there selling food. We have a coffee shop with Nice Street Espresso up front, and we did our first release there, and people were lining up outside, and it really became clear very quickly that it wasn't going to work. Uh, I saw some dudes bought four cases of IPA. You don't yeah. need four. 24 packs of IPA. But beyond that, they, first of all, as we were, you know, we started the release at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We started rolling the pallets of beer in at 2.30, and people are giving us, like, dirty looks and <laughs> being kind of hostile about getting out of the way. And then so what, they're what kind of getting do? in the way of real customers. What is this thing about, it might be another show, about beer trading? Because I've, I've heard there's people with businesses that are trading beers. You know, there's guys, if you go to, to Belgium, you used to be able to have guys ship back, you know, your rare, rare finds. And you know, would you guys know about beer trading? Sure. Well, I mean, if you you buy a case of Focal Banger, you can send it across the country to a case, get a case of Monkish or Treehouse or whatever. So if you want to try every beer on planet Earth, you're going to have to start building up an arsenal of stuff in your neighborhood that you are worth, that's worth trading. And that's in New York, other half. Maybe threes, maybe some single cut stuff. Well, anything that's packaged—that was another thing packaging did. You know, people did trade growlers, but once you could put some lightweight sixteen ounce cans and send them to Boston or Chicago or Iowa and swap them for stuff, that really built up the market. Now, Aaron, if you could give a percentage of the amount of people waiting online at other half um, that are traders, that are traders, what would you say? I honestly think it's like 95%. Are you serious? I, I think that's, that's what depresses me. Really. I, uh, well, look, there's like, look, I've, <laughs> when you wait in line for a long time, you get to the front of the line and you're so pissed off. You buy as much as you can and you buy the t shirt and the tiku and you buy everything just because you're like, I didn't wait in line this long for a four pack. Oh, right. <laughs> and then you get home and you realize, you know, if you're not a trader, Holy crap, I have way too much 9% beer to ever finish. And 200 days later, you're going, I wonder if this is still all right. Yeah. So these dudes that are just dollying out IPAs are obviously traders. Of course, they're keeping a four-pack maybe, but, you know. Maybe one can. I, a, I knew a guy, I saw him at Interborough after the other half Trillium uh, collab that they did down here. He was in line at 11 p.m. the night before, third in line. Okay, He was not first at that time of night. Bought the limit, which was maybe a case, yeah. and he said him and everybody else he was with had traded it all away yeah, before yeah. they got in the door in the morning. Well, you also can uh, you know put your wall of IPA up on Instagram for the sick. Yeah, uh, of course, you can stack as many as yeah. possible. It must be a generational thing because I have friends that do this with with the custom sneakers, and it's the same <laughs> well, exact you know, same. Wait, this is if you walk yeah, if you better. if you walk through uh, Park Slope and Gowanus on a Saturday, there's like a hundred people waiting in a hundred different lines, and it's for sneakers. It's for beer. It's for God knows what. Multicultural trading generation. Okay, last question for everybody. You can Maybe three pick a, should make a sneaker. Pick a beer. You should pick a beer. Okay, it can be either be one of the rarefied that you'd love to have. What would you wait in line for? It could also be a classic beer. So start with Gage. What beer would you wait in line for, like tomorrow, just so you could have a sip of it? Oh, I want to say no beer. I want to say no beer is worth waiting in line for, but uh, Jesse. At Innerborough's premiere, his first beer, I, I, I just did a piece for uh, Brooklyn Magazine or uh, submission to say that was my best new beer of 2016. What it was, was perfect. Uh, a premiere from okay, Innerborough. Cool. Yeah. I got great. it to have. It was phenomenal. It drank great. It held up for like the month that I had it. Was it was good. And I'm going to say it in as many places as possible. Jesse, make more, please. All right. <laughs> Greg, what beer would you wait in line for? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, no, no beer. I, I think, you know, for me... <laughs> there's got to be something, man. No, the, I don't think there is, because it, there's so much good beer around, and, you know, the difference between the most sought-after beer and one you can get these days is not 
worth waiting in line for. You know, maybe that's I'm I'm the type of person. That's the funny thing. People are trading juicy IPAs across the country for juicy IPAs that are like one percent different, five percent better. It's there's it's not much of a. a Aaron, I, I think for me though, I'm, I'm, I'm the sort which of person though that, that's for? not going to wait in line at a restaurant. I, you, you know, know what? I like, wouldn't wait in line, uh, but I would wait in line for Eternal Return Chardonnay because it was one of the best beers this year, and people oh, should wait in line weird. for it. That's the, that's a three. Chris, beer. would you wait in line for any beer? I would. I would wait in line for that perfect perfect bottle of Phantom. Oh, fresh, the not right scummed. No, not fresh. People used to wait in line <laughs> no, for. Give me, give me a three-year-old, four-year-old bottle. Guys, of people used to wait in line for Cantillon, and and that was some people to track down a good bottle of Cantillon. That stuff's great. My, my thing, a friend of mine shipped me the whole thing about shipping and trading. He lives up in Vermont. Sent me a care package of all those great kind of Vermont, you know, IPAs. And the one that actually stood out the most that I actually wish I could get now, it was uh, Lawson's. Sip of sunshine, All right. and, and that did stand out compared to other stuff I'm getting. But again, you know, the, the Nico's from uh, Brooklyn Magazine is doing an article soon. You know, the best the best beers of 2016. So you picked yours. You know, we're looking at new breweries like Interboro and KCBC and Strong Rope and Industrial Arts, and you know, the tears of the heyday. There's so many great breweries now. Sure. Threes, you know. So I'm not waiting in line for any beer, but uh, I, I'm kind of waiting in line. Become the Jimmy's number 43. You don't have to wait in line. Yeah, no so. wait in line. <laughs> no wait in line. Yes. All right. And, uh, you know, we've got one more live show this year. We're going to be going up to Notch Brewing uh, around the new year and doing a live show up in Salem, Massachusetts. So we're talking about checking out other parts of the country. But it's great having you guys on. Everybody just say your name and your affiliation. We're going to sign off. It's uh, Chris Bala from Grand Army Bar. Aaron. Oh, Aaron Goldfarb, writer. Hillary, NYU. Uh, Greg Dorosky, Threes Brewing. Gage Siegel, BeerMenus.com. It was great meeting you guys and talking about all this fun stuff. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy. Thanks to our engineer, David Tattashore. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.